All right, Albert, I think it's uh, your turn to preach. Okay. Um, no introduction needed. <laughs> uh, when we were, <laughs> when we were putting together, <laughs> um, when, when several of the, the, the preachers submitted their applications, or not applications, but what they wanted to preach on, um, we knew that maybe one sermon should be about sex. And we typically preach one sex sermon in Blue Water Mission per year. Uh, but two ministers wanted to preach on sex. Vern, we heard her, and, uh, and then Albert. And I was like, wow, they're two very different people. <laughs> two very different sermons. Why not have two sermons on sex? So thank you, Albert. <laughs> and Nalani. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's give him a, a, a big uh, hand. Yeah, you guys are all like clapping, and you have no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> might, might be different afterwards. <laughs> but um, I really like the way that Ben uh, brought up Jesus washing the disciples' feet as an example of love and the worship, and it really ties in well um, with what I'm going to talk about today. Um, so I want to start by saying that God, well, I was going to start by taking a survey just to um, ask some questions about sex and people can respond by raising their hands. So are you guys up for that? Or? No? <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to do that. Um, but this is the title, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, love and sex part two. And so the example of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is really a good example of how I think God intends love and sex to be. It is really about loving and giving because God, He loves us. And as a starting point, He created us uh, to give us joy. And I think He created sex as part of that love, that this is one aspect of how God shows us His love for us and how we are to show our love for others. Um, that He gives us this gift of sex to teach us um, how to love as God loves and to bring us life. So I think that's a starting point. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, our enemy is real. Satan does come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think he has really taken a swipe and has been very effective in causing a lot of pain with his uh, kind of counterfeit message on sex. So that's kind of a starting point. Um, let me pray. So, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we thank you just that you are so good and that you love us, and that all good gifts come from you. Lord, we just want to acknowledge that everything that you have created in uh, this world is created because of your love for us and for our benefit. Um, and Lord, we just want to acknowledge that the area of sex is so powerful, uh, yet it's so, it can be so hurtful. And Lord, we just declare that in you there's no condemnation, uh, there's no um, guilt and shame. Um, because you've come to free us, Lord, and you've come that we may have life. So, Father, I just want to pray that over this congregation, that you would help us to hear uh, what your message is and that nothing would get in the way. Uh, Lord, we just thank you again for how much you love us and how good you are to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, we're going to talk about God's view of love and sex because I really think that with God, you can't separate the two. Um, and as a preview, of, I think the enemy's message is that they really are separable, that you can have sex without love, and it's okay. Um, so 
whenever we talk about any kind of topic, it's good to start at the beginning. So here we are in the Garden of Eden. And I think with that, it's good to remember that God created us, and he loves us, and he sacrificed himself in Jesus for us so that he can be in a forever relationship with us. You know, that's kind of the basis of life, that God loves us, sacrificed himself for us so that we can be with him forever. And God created us, male and female, so that we would be in a relationship with each other. And that relationship is to reflect God's relationship with us. So that's why God intends for us to be in a forever relationship with each other and to love each other sacrificially, just as God does. Because, you know, Scripture is full of passages that talk about marriage being a reflection of God's love for us, of Jesus' love for the church. Uh, so that's kind of a starting point. And let's take a look at the passage that talks a little bit about that in Genesis. So, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So, Scripture tells us uh, throughout Scripture as well, I'm not going to, there's too many uh, Scriptures to pull up here and put in your bulletin, um, but that this union was meant to be a lifelong union. So when God says that we became one flesh, it was meant to be forever. Um, just like God's commitment to us, that it would be a forever commitment. God also wants us to love each other as he loved us. And I think for context, we need to understand how does God love us? What does God mean when he talks about love? And uh, I think, who was it that talked about 1 Corinthians 13? I don't remember. It was, one of, it was, was it you who talked about that? Okay. TJ talked about 1 Corinthians 13. So we're going to look a little bit at that, just as an idea of what God's idea of love is. So God says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. So the things that stand out to me in God's description of love, one of the most famous ones, is that it's selfless, it's sacrificial. Um, it's seeking our benefit at his own cost. And God created us, again, to love each other in that way. And he created the marriage covenant and sex within that as a means to reflect that same love that he has for us. Talk, our last series was on Ephesians, and there's a nice passage about, oops, ah, about husbands and wives and love and that, so I wanted to read that to you as well. Um, that Ephesians says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So again, you know, this is a reflection of God's love for us. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, 
but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Here's again um, Paul quoting the same passage from Genesis. Uh, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So you see that even Paul, you know, constantly the Bible tells us that God's love for us and our love for each other um, should reflect one another. Um, And sex, again, is part of that relationship. Uh, It's a self-sacrificial love for each other. Um, And I say a part because I think one of the things that the enemy has tried to do, especially in our culture, is kind of to divorce sex from love. You know, that sex is kind of its own thing. You know, if it's part of love, that's great. But really, it can be a standalone thing. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about that more. You know, we've got a lot of sexual things in our society that really don't involve or don't have to involve either another person or any kind of a loving relationship. And I think that's, um, that's the enemy's lie. You know, God meant it to be a part of a loving relationship. And the kind of loving relationship he describes as being self-sacrificial. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the examples I was thinking of is, uh, I was thinking of Disney movies and which ones we like and why. And I didn't have time to pull up pictures of them. But um, like a lot of the Disney movies, why the love in those movies is so powerful is because it's self-sacrificial, right? Like if you think about the Beauty and the Beast where Belle sacrifices herself, you know, to be with the beast for, first for her father be, so that her father can go free. And then she sacrifices herself for the beast when he's dying, right, to be able to, um, to bring him back to life. And, you know, we find that, wow, that, that resonates. That self-sacrifice is something that we really like about love. And a lot of the, you know, old stories about love have that same element in it and that, you know, it resonates with us. And, yeah, that's the way God created love to be, that it's self-sacrificial, um, I just have to throw in another side note that, you know, a lot of you guys know that our younger daughter is named Ariel, and I always have to point out that Ariel is not named after The Little Mermaid because I think that is the worst Disney movie ever made because it it totally departs from the self-sacrificial love thing. In Ariel, she's selfish, she does whatever she wants at the expense of her father and is rewarded for it. So I hate that movie, you know? (laughs) I mean, the... The music is great, the animation is good, but I just don't like the message. I like the other Disney movies where you sacrifice and you give of yourself, and that's, that's what's applauded. Um, anyway, uh, why I believe? I believe that God created us to love and have sex self-sacrificially um, as a means to teach us how to be patient, how to be kind, how to not seek our own, to not be angry and prideful, to persevere, and to keep no records of wrong. And why am I so convinced that this is the way God meant it to be? Well, because men and women are created so differently. I mean, we're just so different. It's just, you can't deny it. Um, I have a few slides to, ex- to explain that. First of all, our brains work differently. I don't know if you can see that. So you see the man's or women's brain. Of course, it's a caricature, but babies talk, respect. I don't see what that shoes. <laughs> security, love, and men, you see, sex, food, beer, TV, sex, 
football, sex. And it's kind of a little bit of a, a joke, but it's true. Our brains, we focus on so different things. And when it comes to sex, it really is. Men's brains are focused on sex a lot, a lot more than women. Um, and it's just even the physiology, if any, any of you guys are like biologists or study physiology, our brains just work differently. Men's brains, I mean, I've heard the saying that men's brains are brain damaged because the, the two halves don't work together. They don't really, um, the, the electronic impulses don't go back and forth as well, whereas women's brains are totally integrated and they, you know, they flow back and forth really well. And that's why, you know, women can think about all kinds of things together. And for women, everything is connected, right? Every, every action and every feeling is connected with everything else. And for men, we're really good at compartmentalizing. That's why, you know, we can, even if we're in the middle of a fight, we can say, oh, yeah, sex would be great right now. You know, because we have compartmentalized sex is one thing, conflict is another thing, work is something else, and we're just so different. Um, another thing is our bodies work differently, and you can just see the, the differences in the way we're created. Um, men have different strengths. You know, usually it's more physical strength, but women generally have more pain tolerance, more endurance. And just if you look at us, we're created differently. And I think God did that purposely. Um, other thing is that for sexual arousal <laughs> and excitement, we are very, very different. Um, women, <laughs> you might have heard this, are, are kind of like a crock pot, you know, that you turn it on and slowly over time, the heat builds, you know, till it does the job. And so, you know, it's a very gradual process to get the the goal accomplished, right? Where men are much more like a microwave, right? <laughs> it's like, sex, great, right now, okay, you know? And it's so, so different. Um, and I think that the reason why God did this is, was purposeful. Um, and, th and this is also, as a side note, why I'm convinced that God created us. We're not a result of just random chance evolution. Because if that was the case, if, you know, if evolution, the purpose to procreate, to maintain the species, it would have been much more efficient if we were much more alike, right? Then it would be, it'll be much easier to have sex, or it could have even been, God didn't even have to give us, or evolution didn't have to create sex as a way to reproduce. We could have been like, you know, mitochondria, just, awesome. what do you call that when they split apart? Mitosis, yes, it could have been just like mitosis, right? Um, but the fact that we are so different, to me, shows that, okay, there was a hand behind this why we we're so different. Um, because if God wanted us, or I think we're different because God wanted us to learn how to love one another self-sacrificially. And especially in the area of sex, to deal with the differences, you have to put the other person's needs above your own. Because we're just so different. So it's, it's not just like, okay, we both think the same, let's just do it. You have to learn how to love the other person. Men have to learn how to love women. Women have to learn how to love men. And it's difficult, I think, by design, so that we have to rely on God, we have to learn how to forgive, and we have to learn how to give up our own wants and desires for the other person. Um, you know, without so much differences, all that wouldn't be necessary. Um, but God always has a bigger plan in store. So God always wants us to become more like him, more like, um, like his son Jesus, to love sacrificially because that's what, um, that's what we were created for, to love one another and to love him.
Yeah, and I think because of that also, it makes sense that God would create it so that love would be in a committed, lifelong relationship because it's hard. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work to learn how to love that way with somebody. It, it just, it's hard. <laughs> and again, in that context, sex can be very, very good um, because God created it that way to be very, very good. And I think another thing is that sex shows God's character. And we learn a lot about God just by the way he created us sexually. You know, it gives us pleasure. It didn't have to, right? God could have just made it either mitosis or he could have just made sex something that you have to do and like, like animals, right? Okay, you're in heat at this point. Just to get rid of this tension, you have sex and then you're good for the next, I don't know, month or however many months. And God didn't need to give us pleasure in the act of sex, but he did because it shows what a good God he is and how much he loves us. Um, it creates life, right? Sex creates life, and again, this shows God's character, that God is a creator, and he creates beautiful things, so he gave us that ability to as well, to create beautiful things through sex. Um, it's best when putting the needs and desires of the other person before your own. I mean, you can have sex without this, but it kind of, it, it's not as good. You know, when you're giving of yourself and you have that relationship, sex just becomes so much better. And it's very creative. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, you, you <laughs> it, and it's something that you can continue to create and learn as your life goes on, right? It's not something you can master. Like many other things in relationships, you, you, it's something that just continues to grow. And again, it shows God's character, that God is interested in our growth and our fulfillment. And, can't see that one. It's designed to get better, okay, as, as your intimacy grows with each other. So just in summary of the way I think God's ideal for sex is that it's created by God to be part of a loving, lifelong relationship with your spouse. And like all other aspects of love, it is self-sacrificial, seeking the needs and desires of the other person over your own. And sex brings joy, and it gets better with time and a deepening relationship. Um, and because of this, because God has created something that is so good, the enemy hates it. The enemy hates God, and the enemy hates us. And his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal the joy God has given us, to kill us if we can, and kill our love for God, and just to destroy both our relationship with God and our relationship with, with others. And, oops. So I think Satan's big lie, it started in the Garden of Eden, you know, just like at the beginning. So in the Garden of Eden, um, the original lie that Satan told to us as people was, do you guys remember what it was? You know, God told us for men and women, okay, don't eat, you can eat of anything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan came to Eve and said, um, did God really say that? And why would God say that? And I think what Satan was implying is that God is holding out on you. God does not have what is best in mind for you. God is a bit of a control freak, and he wants to keep this really good thing from you because God doesn't really love you. So that's the original lie that Satan attacks us as humans with. And I think that's the exact same lie that, God, that Satan uses for sex. You know, that, okay, God's whole idea of one man and one woman forever, that is just such a bad idea. I, you know, God is just doing that because he wants to control you and he, there's so much better out there for you and God just wants to keep you from it. 
And I think that's the lie that Satan pushes. And um, our culture really tends to buy into it. So I want to take a little look at our culture and why, kind of the messages that our culture tells us. And I wanted to start by looking at entertainment, since we're so influenced by entertainment, whether we know it or not. And quick plug for our summer Ohana group series. Um, Dan and I are doing a summer Ohana group series on movies. So every week, Friday, 6.30 at Dan's Place in Makiki, we watch a movie and then we talk about it afterwards. What does this movie say? What's the message? Uh, what does it say about God? What does it say about relationships? Uh, what is its worldview? And just to be more aware of what our entertainment is telling us. Because here's an example. Big Bang Theory. How many of you guys watched that? I mean, it's very entertaining, it's a fun show, it's hilarious. Um, but what does the Big Bang Theory tell us about sex, right? If you think about the relationships, the basic message seems to be so long as you love or enjoy the other person or you love the other person, you can have sex, right? Um, and so far as I know, oh, let's see, one couple's married, right? They're married, everybody else is single, but all having sex with each other or with other people. And, you know, it's seen as kind of funny. And it's seen as something like, well, you know, this is just part of life. This is a big goal that you want to have sex, whether you're committed or not. You know, that's just, that's a great thing. So these kind of shows, it's important for us as Christians to know that, you know, that's not God's ideal. The show is funny. We love the characters. We're emotionally tied to them. We just got to remember, though, that these messages are not necessarily messages from God. Uh, here's another one. Anybody seen this movie, 40-Year-Old Virgin? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a funny movie, you know, and I love... Um, What's the guy's name, the actor? Yeah, I love Steve Carell. I think he's a great actor. Um, but the whole premise of the movie is that if you're still a, a virgin when you're 40, there's something wrong with you. You know, there's something seriously wrong with you. Either you're just a total loser or you've got some kind of mental deficiency and it's something to be ashamed of if you're single and you're not having sex, regardless of whether you're married or not. You know, so these are the kind of messages that our society tells us. Um, how about this one, Game of Thrones? Anybody watch this? It's really popular. I have to say I haven't watched any of these. I've read all the books, so I kind of know the plots. Um, and sex in this is, you know, it's really messed up. A lot of times sex in this movie, which is one of the most popular shows right now, I think, in, in America, and I think worldwide, it's, like it's like got a huge audience, is sex is used for power, right? It's a means to an end. And, you know, you can use it to advance your political career. You know, there's a lot of, um, yeah, just sex being used as a tool. Either it's people taking it or, you know, different characters giving it to get something. So it's not really the way God intended it. And again, these things are just so that we would be aware of what messages the entertainment industry is telling us. And the other thing is just, I think in general, what does our society, our culture tell us about sex? And I think that the main, I guess, the prevailing idea about sex in our culture is that it's okay if you love each other, right? And again, the world's definition of love is a little bit different than God's. You know, the world's definition of love tends to go something like, you make me feel good, I make you feel good. If we both feel good, then we're in love, right? And when things start not feeling good, or when you don't kind of meet my needs anymore, then I think it's time to move on. So even if you ask most people that if they don't have God's view, people that are really nice people, good people, they aren't people that aren't committing crimes, they're not the, you know, sexual criminals, they're not predators, but just say, well, what is, um, what is the idea about sex? And I think they would mostly say, yeah, so long as you love each other, it's great, you know? Um, 
I think there's also the idea that, uh, on the flip side, that sex is kind of casual. It's something that you can do just as recreation. You know, the whole idea of friends with benefits you know, is just that you don't need a real committed relationship or a lifelong uh, relationship. Sex is something that it, it's really great, and you should all be having it all the time, as much as you can. And, and it's okay if there's no relationship, if there's no commitment. You know, the whole hookup culture, um, that it can be just kind of a recreation. And there's still, I think there's also that expectation that if you're not having sex regularly, um, that you're depriving yourself of something great, um, or that there's something wrong with you. And that's, you know, that's just the culture that we live in. Whenever there's an issue about sex in culture, in the media, um, what I try to ask myself is, what is the core issue here? What is the core that they're fighting about? Because there's all kinds of things about um, sex in politics now, right, with the whole uh, the transgender bathrooms or you know, abortion, or there's all kinds of political issues. And usually, I find the core issue is that I don't want anyone telling me how I can or can't have sex. Right? That's kind of the message, and that's like a, uh, almost a right in our society that you should not, nobody should be able to tell you anything about sex. And when that comes up and you know, you're contemplating these issues, just try to think, I, I ask, hey, Lord, what is your view on this? What is your view on this issue, and what do you think? Um, I just think that's, that's helpful in our day and age. As Christians, we need to do that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about pornography because I think this has really become... Um, just a major tool in the enemy's bag to just cause all kinds of pain for us. Um, I think the, the advent of the internet, as wonderful as it is, I mean, it kind of provides me my job. I prosecute internet crimes against children. Um, but it has made pornography, uh, all kinds of pornography, just so accessible, just for everybody. And I think because of that, you know, I would say the majority of men uh, and some women, and even in church, it's a problem. It's an it's issue for us because pornography is just, it's just there. Um, and I think even in our, our society, it's become almost accepted, right? That pornography is something that, oh, if you're a man, you're probably looking at pornography and that's okay. The idea that it doesn't hurt anybody um, and, and it's okay. But I think it's doing incredible dam damage to this generation. And I think we're going to see the repercussions of that as you know, the younger generations start to get married. Because even good kids you know, are engaging in pornography. And so when they get married, it affects their relationship. It affects their view of their wife. Um, so I think the main thing that pornography, one of the main damages is it's sex without relationship, right? It's just you look at something, and you're aroused, and there's no relationship whatsoever with the thing, with the person that you're looking at. That, that just, even that language, the thing you're looking at, that's what it teaches you, that whatever you're looking at is a thing. It's not a person. Um, it's a visual link to physical, because to be frank, you know, pornography usually goes with masturbation, and physical and mental sex without a person. You, know, you envision it in your mind, or you just watch it on the screen, and then it creates a link I think, between the pornography and yourself. Um, it objectifies women, which almost goes without saying, just because it's an object that you are using to satisfy yourself. Um, it's addicting. It's like a drug. And what I mean is, I mean, there's a guy, um, Andrew Doan, not the one that's back here, but um, Craig Chong's friend, who came and spoke about video game addictions, and he also talked about pornography, and that he studied that as for the Navy and that the pornography, it acts in your brain just like a drug. It creates pathways in your brain. It starts uh, f uh, 
shaping the way your brain processes information. And like a drug, um, it has diminishing returns. The more you engage in it, the less you're aroused by it. And the, the less, I think, real women affect you because you, as you get more and more into pornography, like the softer stuff doesn't, doesn't tend to arouse you as much, so you start getting into harder and harder pornography, more violent pornography, uh, rape, torture, bestiality, bestiality um, and the objects of the pornography get younger and younger. Uh, part of my job is that I prosecute child pornography, and I see this all the time, that these people, a lot of them, I think, started off, well, I think, you know, there, there's people that are pedophiles, that just they are naturally or pervertedly attracted to children sexually. But I think there's also a large group that are just what they call sexual omnivores. And they just kind of, I think they got into pornography and then they wanted harder and harder stuff, and that kind of led them to child pornography because it's different, right? It's something that's taboo. And you, I see with these guys, we get their computers and we look through their files and besides the child pornography, they have all kinds of other stuff. You know, rape videos, bestiality, and it just seems like they've just kind of followed this, um, this path to just, you know, to, to, you know, to landed them in jail. You know, it got to the point where they're breaking the law and then we arrested them. So it's just, it is like drugs that it becomes... It becomes all about you and your needs and how it makes you feel. So that's why I think, again, at the core, pornography is the opposite of what God wants us, that, love, that sex is about an aspect of love where you're sacrificing for the other person. It's, this this is, is all about you. You know, sex is all about you. Um, and I think, you know, the next step, oops, yeah, it's all about you. Prostitution, to me, again, this is just the next logical step. If sex is just about using somebody and there's no relationship, paying for sex with somebody that you have no relationship is, is kind of the next step. And then other, and when I say the next step, I don't mean that everybody who engages in pornography will end up in prostitution or other things, but I just see it follows that logic that if it's all about me, then, and there's no relationship involved, prostitution seems to fit that mindset. Um, other sex crimes, like there, you know, the law has prohibitions against um, sexual assault, against child pornography, um, and these things are all at its core. It's that the perpetrator feels like it's all about me. I want this, and I don't really care about the other person to the point where they're violating uh, the other person to the point where it's it's illegal, and and then to me, human trafficking—that's kind of the epitome of it. It's like you're just you're taking people against their will, making them slaves for the sexual desires of someone else. It's all about me, and that's the enemy's lie. And I think the underlying belief in all of this is that I should have a right to have sex whenever and with whomever I want. And that's, I think, the enemy's view, and for a larger part, the world's view. Um, I think most people, if they're not into the criminal side, they feel like, yeah, it's all about me and what I want, and of course I'll do it within socially acceptable norms, so long as, you know, both people are into it, or, you know, we have feelings for it, then it's okay. But that's, that's the world's view, and it, it's just so far from what God's view is, and I think it, it cheapens what God wanted, and it, it's a pale imitation, like all of Satan's lies. He takes something good that God has, and he kind of twists it and says, this is better, when it's really not. A little bit about me. So, um, in the sexual area, I actually, I grew up in the church, and so I didn't have sex with anybody until I got married. 
So all of my sexual experience has been with my lovely wife, Nalani. Um, so when we, yes, thank you. <laughs> so when we got married, you know, I was very, very excited, right? So we had, um, and sex was good, and it was fun, and, you know, the first few years, we had a lot of sex, and, um, but, and we had a lot of conflicts, too. And just as a side note, I think that God created it this way because when you first get married, for those of you who know, it's hard. It's hard to become one with somebody who grew up totally different from you and different experiences, and now you're supposed to be husband and wife. And, you know, we had a lot of conflicts. And I can honestly say if it was not for God, for our commitment to God and each other, um, we would have gotten divorced in the first couple of years. It was so hard. But I think sex, as God meant it to be, was kind of a buffer. It helped through some of those really, really hard times. Um, and again, that's why I think that God bent it to be in the context of a lifelong relationship because marriage is hard. You know, we've been married for like 24 years now, about, and it's still hard. You know, it's up and down. It's, it's difficult. Um, and, you know, relationship issues, of course, they affect your sex life because everything's connected, right? So the more conflicts you have, the less sex you have. You know, early in the marriage and Still today, as all of you guys who are married know that as, you're, as you have more conflict, you have less, se less sex. And it's just, that's the way it is. Um, so that it kind of forces you to learn to die to yourself, to forgive, and to love the other person. Otherwise, you know, if you're going to stick within God's parameters, no sex. <laughs> um, then we had kids. And both of the kids we had by C-section. So as in an area, we're both born by C-section. And... Um, this is where looking back, even though I grew up in the church, even though I did what God said by remaining celibate until I got married, the world's view of sex still, I still adopted a lot of that. So I think I still had the idea that it was about me and it was about my right to have sex. And even though I'm now married, I feel like, well, you know, I did it the right way, so I should still, I should be able to have sex whenever I want. And because Nalani was in pain after the C-sections, you know, for months, you know, for a long time, you know, the things didn't heal right, it took a long time. But, you know, I feel like, well, I need to have sex because I'm married and, and I want to have sex. And so I would pressure her into having sex, which created a lot of both physical and emotional pain for Nalani. And that's something that, you know, years, years later, it's still an issue and it still comes up. It's, it's just painful. Um, and I just did a lot of damage because I still had the world's view that, well, that's my right, you know, which is not, and that's just wrong. So even if you're married, if you think it's all about you, you can create a lot of harm. And also, uh, before I got married, you know, I, I never really um, engaged in pornography much, too. And of course, <laughs> it was almost before the internet, kind of dating myself. But um, when we got married, and when we were going through that time when, you know, after the babies and you know, it was just painful for Nalani, I felt like, well, I still deserve sex. And that's when I started to look at pornography because, again, you know, it's so accessible. And um, I justified it by saying, well, you know, it's my right. I deserve to have sex. My, my wife can't have sex, so I'm justified in, doing, in looking at pornography. But just personally, what I noticed that as I did that, um, besides just, besides hurting Nalani, um, I noticed that it affected my view of her. Like I would, the more I engaged in pornography, the less attractive I would find my wife. And I think that's just the nature of it. That's how God, our, I'm sorry, that's how the enemy will steal our joy, will steal the good things that God wants for us. 
that as, you, as I engaged in pornography, I had less desire for Nalani. Now, notice that, you know, so they, you know, I'd quit for a while, and then my desire for my wife would increase. And if I fell and started looking at it again, um, I noticed that just my attitude would change. Not only was I less attracted to her, but I would get irritated more, right? Things that she would do would irritate me, and I'd just, it, it, it would directly affect our relationship. And it's why, you know, pornography is just so, such a poison for relationships. And just because you did it right and you got married before you had sex doesn't mean that you're immune. So, I think what it also does is it substitutes imagination for the what's real, right? It creates a fantasy of the way um, largely men would like sex to be, which is not, right? It's all about the guy. It's all about his pleasure, and the woman is just always willing, and whatever, you know, whatever the guy wants to do, she's like, oh, this is great. I'm so excited. But <laughs> as you know, that, that's just not the way it is. That's not the way God created it. God created sex at the, that, in my experience, the woman gets more excited when you're being loving, when you're giving of yourself, you know, and that you're concerned about what she feels. And that's the way that, that uh, sex is meant to be. It's not the way that pornography portrays it. Um, and, you know, it's something that, you know, I continue to struggle with from, from time to time. Sometimes I have, you know, victory for years or months, but then, you know, I'll fall. I need to be aware when, when we're having conflicts or when I'm really stressed out. Those are trigger things that, you know, I just need to be aware. Okay, God, this is tough. Um, after I do ministry, that's usually a time, like when I preach, I need to re- be very ca- cautious that the, after the down, after you've done ministry, that's when the enemy tends to attack. So, you know, just uh, in, in our lives, we need to be aware of when are our weak points, when do we need support, and when do we need God's uh, particular help. So, uh, for some application, uh, first for single people, because I kind of needed to break it up a little bit, um, be pure. You know, the Bible talks, tells us to be pure, like God is pure, and there's all kinds of verses on purity. I did a little uh, Google search on purity in the Bible and found all kinds of stuff, but I just know that we need to be pure, and it helps. Um, be celibate. If you're single, uh, that's the way that God wants it. He wants sex to be in marriage, and that, that's the best way, regardless of what the world says. Uh, flee sexual immorality, immorality pornography, um, extramarital sex, you know, just, just stuff that the Bible says, just run away from it. Don't try to reason with it. Don't try to be super strong. Just run the other way. Uh, work on selfless love and considering the needs of others before your own. So even if you're not married, that's just as Christians, that's what we need to do. And it's good practice. If you learn to die to yourself as you're single, it will help you when you're, in, when you're married, then you need to die to yourself for your wife's benefit. So, um, and get accountability. Because um, we need accountability. We can't do it on our own. I think that's the other thing that the enemy uses. He uses shame and he uses guilt to make us hide so that we feel like, oh, we're the only one struggling with this. And if anybody knew, you know, their opinion of me would just drop. But the reality is we all struggle. We all struggle, in, especially in this area within our culture. And you need other guys, if guys hold you accountable, women with women hold you accountable to be able to fight through these kind of um, particularly sexual attacks of the enemy. Now, for, for married people, be pure. <laughs> because just because you're married doesn't mean that you can just let your mind go into all kinds of stuff and get into all kinds of sexual uh, sins just because you're married. You still need to be pure. The call of God to be pure is the same whether you're married or single. 
Um, flee sexual immorality. Flee pornography. Flee the temptation to engage in uh, affairs. Uh, just that stuff, again, don't reason with it, just run away from it. And yeah, uh, work on loving your spouse selflessly and putting his or her needs above your own because that's what God says to do and that's the way things work best. Get accountability. So really, the application is not much different whether you're married or not. God still calls us to the same standard and God still wants what's absolutely best for us. God wants us to have the gift of sex within the context of love because God is so good to us. Um, do we have time to pray a little bit? Okay. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time praying um, and asking for God's help because these are nice practical suggestions, but the hard part, again, like any application, is doing it. And we need God's power. We just can't do it on our own. So let me pray for a bit for us. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come and first we thank you for creating sex, for creating love, and for loving us and dying for us. And Lord, we, we acknowledge that you know what's best and you have what's best for us, Lord. And we just reject the enemy's lie that you don't. We reject the enemy's lie that you are holding out on us because you are a control freak and you really want to keep good things away from us, Lord. We just reject that. Um, Father, I want to pray for freedom because uh, I know uh, that in this area, you know, the Bible talks about that all the other sins that we commit are outside of our bodies, but sexual sins are sins against our own bodies and against you, and it's, there's, it, they just grab a hold of us. So, Lord, I just pray for your power to come and to supernaturally free us from sexual sins, from addictions, um, from past abuses or hurts, that have been done to us or that we, we have done to others. Because, Lord, you say if we confess our sins, you, will, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us and wipe our sins away. Uh, and, Lord, you promise to give us freedom. So I just pray for that, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, Lord, we need you. The life of love you call us to is awesome, but it's not easy. And, again, I think you created it that way. So we have to learn to depend on you. Father. So Lord, we just give our lives, our sexual lives, and our love lives into your hands. We ask for your help, and we thank you that you are good and that you love us. Amen. Thank you, Albert.